Um, today, like Dale said, since he was <laughs> looking at my <laughs> looking at my notes, um, we're going to examine a prayer uh, of Jesus. Um, we're going to look at the objects of his prayer, his disciples. It's going to be all his disciples then, the 12, uh, all present and future disciples. And then the prayer is going to kind of widen to, uh, to include and incorporate the whole world at the end. And so we're going to examine the, the subject of this prayer, which is unity. Um, and so we're going to talk about how we get it wrong by witnessing a story that Dale mentioned that I just I, I could not get over when I read it, this, uh, this story about monks that get arrested, um, which is pretty good stuff. Um, and then it's going to finish with how in this diverse world and this diverse church that we have worldwide, how can we get unity right? Um, and really, what is it that Jesus is praying for? Um, and what we're going to see is that, that the whole prayer for unity is so that the world would come to know Jesus and know the God that sent Jesus. And that's going to be kind of our focus today. So we're going to start with a question. And there's, this is not a, one of those right or wrong, you know, that when I ask questions, there's, I don't ask those kind of questions. This is just a sincere question. How does it make you feel when somebody prays for you out loud? All right. So we like we started talking about it just and we just the staff alone we all had different answers and reactions to this. So does anyone want to like I'm going to share mine, but does anyone want to just jump in and say like how's it feel when somebody prays for you out loud? What do we, what do we think? It's awkward. Okay. Love thank it. you. What is it? Love it? Okay, see this is perfect. <laughs> awkward and love it. All right? Now do we have somebody in the middle? Yeah, all right, Darcy, good. Um so I was thinking about this because so what's going to happen here is Jesus is going to pray out loud for his disciples. He's going to include all present and future disciples, which means Jesus is praying for us, okay? Um, and so when I started thinking about this, I'm like, I start, Jeremy, where you do, right? I start where I'm like, okay, this is more than a little bit awkward. Like, I don't like attention, which is crazy that God calls me to this job. Uh, but I really don't like attention. Like, we're talking the birthday stuff outside. Like, I, I want to sing for Linda and for Katie and for other people, but not for me, <laughs> you know? I do not like that kind of attention. So that's where I start. I start where you start. I'm like, okay, at first it feels a little bit awkward, and then you have to get over the fact that, like, some really well-meaning person wants to pray for you, right? And so I move from that awkwardness, and I usually move toward feeling a little bit humbled, a little bit vulnerable, um, honored even, and where I land at the end is I'll land on gratitude and appreciation. And that's kind of like the spectrum that I go through every time, but I always start out going, oh, no. Um, no, no, don't pray for me. Um, and so this is, this is pretty cool. So like we're going to get to eavesdrop on this prayer of Jesus's. And what I was thinking about is, like, may we learn how to bask in this prayer knowing that Jesus prays for us knowing that Jesus cares about us and cares about the world like more than we could ever imagine. So, speaking of prayer, will you pray with me? Almighty God, through your only Son, you've overcome death and opened up to us the light of eternity. God, we ask that you would meet us here in word and spirit and speak to us in ways that help us to know you more. Amen. Here we go. Now, the wording in this is a little is a little complicated. It's going to sound kind of strange, and hopefully we'll be able to make some sense of it. John 17, uh, 20 to 26. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory which you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them. I will make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The word of the Lord. The these, the those, the thems. See where, see where we're going here? Yeah, we got to figure out who the these, the those, and the thems are, right? That's kind of important in this text. You've got to sit and stare at it for a while, so I'll, I'll help with that in a minute. Um, but here's what I thought about this prayer. The first thing I thought of was the note that it moves. It starts, it starts here, and it moves wider to incorporate more people. And by the end, it's wide enough to stretch to encompass and include the world. That was the first, it just jumped off the page. So it starts with the these. Here's the narrow. The these are the apostles, the 12, the ones that are closest in proximity and in relationship to Jesus. It moves from the these to the those. The those are the you and the me's, uh, the present and the future disciples. And then at the end, it stretches to the thems <laughs> to encompass uh, the rest of the world. So we've already said, what does Jesus pray for? Jesus is praying for unity. So I, I kind of just summarized it like this, that every individual Christian, and I think this is important because I think it's more than, than just individual Christians. It's also every gathering of Christians that we would call a church that we would seek complete unity with one another. And so unity, now this word, this is a very idealistic and a very lofty word. In our polarized contemporary culture, unity might seem very hard to come by. I don't know if anyone else thinks this. Probably everyone is my guess. Um, We might even rightly ask, is unity within any group of human beings even possible? Now, Jesus is praying for the unity of his disciples. How unified were the disciples? The answer is not very. Okay, Peter is irritable and impatient. Judas is plotting Jesus' demise. James and John are arguing over who's going to have the seat at the right and the left hand of Jesus in the kingdom of God. Thomas is doubting. This hardly paints a unified picture of Jesus' followers. Well, how about us Christians today? How unified are we? Not, not very, right? And so I found this guy, J. Gordon Melton. Aside from having a good name, I love those academic names where you put the initial first. Um, R. Michael Douglas, that would be me if I wrote a book. (laughs) He's a Methodist minister, and he has this unusual hobby. He is like, they call him like the denomination hunter, okay? So he literally scours the country trying to count the number of denominations. And as of a few years ago, this is what he found. He had counted over 2,600 faith groups in the U.S. and Canada. Uh, As over 1,200 of those faith groups were labeled as Christian, so I found, I found a bunch of them, but I'm just going to highlight two because I think they're funny. Uh, the Church of What's Happening Now, have you ever heard of them? They're a really contemporary church. Um, my favorite, though, was, listen to this, and this, I swear I don't make this stuff up. 
the nudist Christian church of the Blessed Virgin Jesus. For real, they're a real church. Um, Now, I did not look up what they teach. um, (laughs) But what I'm certain of is that we'd be able to spot them from a mile away, right? (laughs) Where's Where's my drum? All right, sorry. Sorry about that. It was too much fun. I had to... Um, so unity is Jesus' prayer. Unity is also Jesus' goal. What's that? Yeah? A good one? Oh, Jeff was saying that's the church I grew up in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you want to share, Jeff? <laughs> so Jesus is praying for unity. It's Jesus' goal. Now, this is why I'm just really, I'm always shocked to hear just how divided we Christians really are. And so I'm going to highlight it with a story that I found that just absolutely blew my mind. In Jerusalem, there's a church called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Have you, you guys have probably been, haven't you? Okay, were there any monks beating each other with religious artifacts when you went? Okay, because it's happened more than once at that church, all right? So this is the church that was commissioned by Emperor Constantine in the 300s. And ever since then, it's been this place of sectarian fighting. Tradition claims, and I don't know, you guys probably know more about this than I do, that it's, the church is actually built on the burial site of Jesus, right? And so that's what, they, that's what they say. And so people flock to this church from all over the world. Um, and these turf wars play out because what they say is that there are six different Christian sects that think that they have authority within this church, right? So here's, here's the story. The rooftop which was controlled by the Ethiopians. Uh, But they lost control to the Coptics when a disease epidemic struck in the 19th century. Oh, it's just going to get better. Just wait. 1970s, the Ethiopians regained control because the Coptic monk left his post and the Ethiopian monks had just enough time to change all the locks on the doors. (laughs) This is true. So they've been squatting on this like courtyard uh, rooftop ever since with one Ethiopian monk sitting on the rooftop 24-7, okay? Uh, but a Coptic monk ended up getting up there, and so that monk has to also remain 24-7. So they have these two guys in a standoff that live on this courtyard rooftop. Now, like, we know toddlers who behave better than this. All right, 2002, it's telling you it's going to get better. The Coptic monk sitting on the rooftop, he decides to take his chair, it's hot, and he moves it into the shade. Well, guess what? The shade was on the Ethiopian monk's side of the rooftop courtyard. So they start shouting at each other. The shouts led to pushes, the pushes to shoves, the shoves to an all-out brawl that ensues on the rooftop of this church. Now, how many of you would just make this assumption that monks would fight fair? Like I would. They're monks. Like, if, you're, if a monk is going to fight, you want to hope that they're going to fight fair. These monks did not fight fair. They are the dirtiest fighters I've ever seen. You want to know how I know? There's a video of this on YouTube, okay? So if you want to see Christians in disunity, <laughs> you have got to go home and Google this video of monks fighting each other in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. It's absolutely shocking. Okay? Now, at the end of this fight, 11 monks are injured. One is unconscious and in the hospital, and another one has a broken arm. Okay, that's 2002. One more. 2008, another brawl ensues, this time inside the like, sanctuary. And the worshipers start fighting with the monks. Okay, so it's complete chaos. 
they're throwing like tire iron type, like metal bars, and they're beating each other with religious artifacts, including the crosses. They're in full vestments, and they're beating each other with crosses. Okay, like this is the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen in my life. I just, I could not believe it. And then I was thinking like, aside from the maybe beating each other with religious artifacts, um, there's something to be said about the messiness of Christian unity. Um, it's, it's not clean. Does unity mean, you know, it's like my question when I, when I was looking at this is, what does this unity mean? What does Jesus mean? Does it mean that we get along all the time? Does it mean that we agree on everything? Um, does it mean that Christians are going to sit in a circle, hold hands, and sing kumbaya? Is that what's necessary for unity? Dale, I know you would like that, because you tried it one time, I remember. We tried it. You remember that? No. I do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> you wiped it out of your memory, but I can't get it out of mine. <laughs> does unity require that we agree on everything? That's a really important question, because if it does, aren't we in a, we're in a lot of trouble. We're in a lot of trouble. So is that what Jesus means? What is this unity that Jesus is praying for, this goal of unity that Jesus has? So I'm going to illustrate it with, a, with a, a story. I've got a really good friend named Derek. Uh, Derek is uh, the father of like my daughter's best friend, Avery, who's come here a bunch of times with him. Now, I've known Derek for about 10 years. We coached uh, high school basketball together. So we started coaching in like middle school, and then we ended up coaching about eight years of high school basketball at Newbury Park. And so he was my illustration of when I started thinking about unity, because uh, all the years of coaching that we had, and we've had plenty, uh, 10 years of coaching, so this is day, I mean, year-round, daily, like we, we put a lot of time in, a lot of effort, a lot of hours. We've never gotten in an argument, never, except for one little time, right? And so our families think it was really funny. They like to joke around that there was one time in the bench in the middle of a game that we had an argument. Here it is. Are you ready? The disagreement went like this. I was the head coach. He was the assistant. And so as the head coach, I had delegated to him the authority to make substitutions in the middle of a game. My job was to manage the game, officials, etc. But he could sub in if he wanted to. And so in the middle of probably the biggest game of the year against our biggest rival, the team that we had to beat to win the league, it's in the third quarter. Derek whispers in my ear, and he says, I need, there's someone I'm going to sub in right now, and he gives me the name of the player that he wants to sub in. And I looked at him in a moment of like sheer panic, and look, this person was a wonderful human being and a dreadful basketball player. <laughs> And I looked at him and I said, are you absolutely sure about this? And he said, I'm sure. That was the extent of our disagreement. She played. And we still won. Okay? Um, so our wives and kids saw this little exchange take place on the sideline. And they like to say that that's like the closest thing to a fight that we've ever been in. And so why do I highlight this? Because just because we don't argue or fight doesn't mean that we are so like-minded that we agree on everything. As a matter of fact, with this guy probably we disagree on more things than we agree on. And so I was actually thinking about it. I made a list. I'm like, what are the things we, we, agree, we disagree on? We disagree on politics, on the environment. We disagree on theology. We disagree on sports. He likes Chevy trucks. I like Toyotas. Like, we come out of different Christian traditions. Like, we have a lot of, we, we have a lot of differences, and yet we've never gotten in an, as much as a slight even bit of an argument. Why is that? I was thinking about unity. I realized that we have something very foundational in common with each other, something that binds us together. We both love Jesus. It's that simple. We both put Jesus first. 
And we both saw our coaching as a ministry to kids and their families and to our community. We had this foundational thing in common, this thing that bridged all the differences that we had in other areas of our life. So it's like if, if the unity that Jesus is praying for, it has to have something more to it than just agreeing on everything, which seems like it could be probably impossible. And so I started looking at this text a little more closely. The mysterious unity that Jesus prays for, it seems to all be about relationship. And so here they are. These, these things come right out of the passage. And this relationship, by the way, that deepens and broadens as it deepens. So the deeper this relationship goes with Jesus, the more the uh, prayer broadens out to incorporate and to include more people. And so here it is. Unity is first about this deep connection that we have with God through Jesus. And Jesus says that this relationship, this connection, this vertical connection that we have with God is likened to the connection that the Father has with the Son. Like, how cool is that? Now, you're gonna, that's going to take some, some thinking, right? But that, this is what Jesus says. And then he says, because of that connection, we find our way into this deep unity and connection with one another. And third, because of this connection with Jesus and because of this connection with Christian community, it widens and broadens as we seek to embrace the whole world. This prayer that starts with his disciples widens to include you and I and all present and future disciples and ends up embracing the world. It's like to be in relationship with Jesus is to become a part of this community. And so we're one in Christ, whether we agree on everything or not. We're one in Christ, probably, I think, I I need to give this some more thought, but we're probably one in Christ whether we like it or not. That's my guess. (laughs) Like if I was to really stretch this out and say this unity that Jesus prayed for has already in, in one regard at least been achieved. And it's this mysterious relationship that holds diverse people together. We're not all gonna be in perfect agreement about everything. How is it that we're held together as a community? This is the only explanation that Jesus talks about is this relationship that we have with the Son of God, with Jesus himself, because we will divide over anything and everything, will we not? (laughs) And yet Jesus is erasing those divisions, erasing like all the tribalistic ways in which we divide. I actually started coming up with a list for myself. What are the ways that I divide? Who are my different, diverse, tribal communities? And there was a bunch. I had a bunch, right? Um, And Jesus just erases all of those, which I find fascinating. And so the big question in this kind of beautiful mystery is, why does Jesus pray for unity among believers? And this is where he's just absolutely crystal clear. This is directly out of our text. Jesus says, so that the world may know that you have sent me, And you have loved them even as you have loved me. There's your reason. This beautiful, uh, beautiful sentence that Jesus prays. We are unified for a purpose, for Christ's mission in the world. That this oneness that Jesus prays for is all about love and mission. I thought about it like a family. Members of your family all agree on everything? Like you got a bunch of Ridenauer and wise, yeah. Does, do you guys all do you agree on everything, mostly? Are we close? Everything? All right. You guys are way better than my... All right, Krista, thank you. We have one honest right now. 
Yeah, I mean, think about it like a family, right? Nothing can change the fact that we're family. That cannot change. The unity that we have with family does not depend on the fact that we agree upon everything. And so I, I think that's a fun thing to think about. But here's, we're going to step that one up a little bit. Jesus starts his prayer with his disciples. It moves to present and future disciples. And it's interesting to note that John's gospel, the word world, this is, I think, really important to this text. It almost always in John's gospel refers to people who oppose Jesus. The world. And Jesus is praying for this world. And it's interesting to note that it was for the love of the world, for the love of those who oppose Jesus, who don't know him. It was for those people that God sent Jesus in the first place. This is what it says. This is a fascinating thing to think about. And so what what does our unity do? Our unity is on display for the benefit of the world. How, How important is this? This is where we fit in to this story, I think. That our unity is on display for the benefit of those who do not yet know Jesus, who do not know of God's love in Jesus. And so our unity drives us to commit to the same world that Jesus loves, the same world that Jesus prayed for, the same world that Jesus came and ministered to, died and rose for in order to save. And then the thing that I thought was really cool, the timing on this was yesterday we were working uh, with Robert for Action Serve Day. Did you know that there were over 50 churches that worked yesterday for Action Serve Day? 50 different churches, all from Ventura County, participated in this day. Churches that espouse different theologies, churches that practice different politics, churches that welcome different people, churches that worship in different ways. But what is the unifying factor? The unifying thing, the thing that draws us together, is a love for Jesus and a love for our community. And that's the thing that draws 50 different churches together, all for the benefit of God's kingdom that is every bit here and present in the Caneo Valley. And so I wanted to close with a story about a person that I just met this week. And the story has just like been etched in my mind. I met this woman. Her name is Penny. She is a pastor in a tiny little town called Bernie, California. Anybody? One person's heard of it too. Okay. I I think there's like 3,000, less than 3,000 people in the entire town. And so she told me this story before she took this job as the pastor of this, this church. Uh, the church went through a, a split over theological issues. I know you're shocked about that. <laughs> um, a bunch of people left that church, and they formed another church with a little bit of a narrower embrace. Some people were so frustrated they just gave up, and they quit, and they walked away. And there was a small handful of people that remained. So this is crazy. So this will tell you how much of a small town this is. There were these toxic articles were written about this church in the local newspapers. Um, and there was so much, there's so many problems over this church split that the denomination decided to close the church permanently. They just said, we can't, we can't handle this. We just need to close this thing and shut it down. They closed their doors for over two years. Then they call this woman, Penny, and they say, can, we want you to reopen it. Oh, man, can you imagine taking that job? Think about that for a minute. Being faithful... She does it. She says, all right, God's calling me to open this church. She's going to be faithful to this call. She goes to reopen it. She has 15 people. They start praying together. They start studying scripture. And they start actively loving on the people in this little community. Now, more toxic articles are written about them in the local newspaper because they reopened, saying that the church should have remained closed, that they 
a woman in the pulpit was not a good idea. And this little band of followers of Jesus kept at it. They kept loving their community. They kept loving Jesus. She receives phone calls from many pastors who tell her that she's the wrong gender to pastor in their community. And that this, they actually, this is, this is crazy. They said, God will not bless the reopening of this church. It's a strong statement when you don't know what God's going to do, by the way. Um, and so he, this, you know, like when she's telling me this story, like I could feel the weight of her voice when she was telling me this. I could feel the burden that this woman was carrying. And she said she knew without a doubt that God had called her to this task, and so did the people that she was with. She, she just decided, I'm not, I'm not going to waver in my faithfulness to do what God has asked me to do. A few weeks ago, so this is two years ago that she reopened, a few weeks ago she had this really memorable experience, one that I think ties us in well with today's scripture passage on unity. And she receives a phone call from another pastor. And the pastor says, I'd really like to meet you for lunch. And she says to me, I knew exactly what that meant. Another male pastor telling me to shut it down. But she agrees to go. And so the pastor said to her that although he disagreed with her theology and that he didn't believe that women should be in the pulpit, he also said this. He said he was blown away by how much love this woman had for Jesus and how much love that her, commu- uh, her community had for Jesus and had for their town. And so he said, he's like, I've been watching you guys, and I know the love of Christ when I see it. And he said he was absolutely certain that God was up to something with this little group of Jesus' disciples. He was certain that Jesus was clearly in it. And he said, there's no denying that she and her congregation loved Jesus and that they loved the community that they were in. And he just said that it showed in everything that they did. He wished her well. And he went on his way. That's a guy who understands what Jesus was praying. Really. Like he took the unity of the body of Christ seriously. He admitted that although he didn't understand it, he knew the love of Christ when he saw it. It's that kind of love that binds us together. A love that starts with our relationship with Jesus and moves outward to love and care about all of the things that Jesus loves and care about. So may our unity be a symbol that reaches out into the world that God loves, the world that Jesus prayed for, so that everyone would come to know Jesus and believe in the God who sent him. Amen. Amen. We are going to...